Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Why we're not buying what the national media is selling regarding Chandler Jones. He's not going anywhere, folks. Jones's happiness or perceived lack thereof is part of a much larger discussion about the outside linebacker position. Marcus Golden returns. Devon Kennard wants a clean slate. And what about Victor Dimukeji? Can the sixth-round draft pick make enough noise in training camp to find a spot on the 53-man roster? First, though, nice to see the offensive line receive its due. It's Cardinals Cover 2, episode 434, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2 with Craig Grealoux and Mike Jarecki. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. Murray rolls to the right, throws near side, defense caught, and he's into the end zone for the touchdown! Here's Craig Grealoux and Mike Jarecki. So one week ago, we focused on the offensive line. We felt like that was a great jumping off point as we examined each position group heading into training camp. Now, nothing's changed since that show, which you can find in the archives on azcardinals.com. But the O-line was in the news recently, MJ, and it was for all the right reasons. For those that might have missed it, Kyle Littegaard on azcardinals.com had the story about, and he's very into numbers, the analytical guy. We kind of make fun every now and then, but uh, actually it was a good story and looking at what a lot of these analytics people look at when it comes to O-line rates. And Next Gen Stats had the Cardinals as the number one O-line when it comes to limiting pressure on the quarterback. Now, the story goes into a lot of detail, but the fact that number one ahead of, and this is the rest of the top five, MJ, the Browns, the Chiefs, the Saints, and the Packers, those four teams, those four teams are all playoff teams. All four of those teams are very good teams. So the fact that the Cardinals were number one in that category, and this certainly affects Kyler Murray, but that five-man unit, maybe individually not great, but collectively, they are number one. And I think it speaks volumes because if you look at some of those teams you mentioned, they've had the same offensive line. Now clearly, you know, a couple guys have been drafted um, in in the early rounds when it comes to the Browns. But for the most part, I mean, J.C. Treader, I mean, they've had good players and some are free agents, so that's a, a good uh, conversation to start with. And, and again, until somebody goes to the Pro Bowl, or in this case, all pro, they're never going to get the credit. But as, as a unit, we know how much improvement they've made over the last couple of years. You know, clearly Kyler Murray wasn't the same, and maybe there was a downward trickle effect on the offensive line, just, you know, usually one, two, three, protect, he's going to run. And that wasn't the case, but th- that's good company to be in. And again, those those offensive lines have been together for a while. And you know, besides Rodney Hudson, which is a huge upgrade at the center position, it makes sense. Um, but again, they're going to have to prove it uh, throughout the course of the year. And we know the numbers have gone down when it comes to um, protecting Kyler Murray, whether it's sacks, pressures, hurries, or knockdowns. But uh, that's a good stat because I would never guess that. I would thought they would be in the top ten but not number one. And when you talk about limiting that pressure, you said one, two, three. You got to make a decision whether you run or you're throwing it or throwing it away. And it's I think the Cardinals do benefit when you have a Kyler Murray because he can be in that pocket a little bit longer, if you will. It does put a little bit more pressure on the offensive line to hold up their end as far as the guys who are coming against them as far as the pass rushers. But because of the ability, the escapability, the ability for Kyler Murray to 
certainly go east-west. Now you hope that he learns to go north as far as stepping up in the pocket, which we've talked a lot about, that U-shape. And all of a sudden, we want to see Kyler Murray throw the football. I think he would prefer to throw the football as opposed to run. Now we talked during the course of the offseason that, yes, he needs to be able to run to help this offense, but it shouldn't be a starting point. So the fact that a year ago when that sack total dropped from 48 to 27, that certainly is an indication that, yes, the offensive line is improved and Kyler Murray has improved as recognizing when to bail and when to get rid of the football and I think you know a lot of chatter is you know Kyler doesn't go under center and to me the reason why maybe those numbers reflect that is because he can be in the pistol he can be in the zone read he can be in the RPO and when you're going under center sometimes when you're 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 taking your three or five step drop you can't see the entire field your left shoulder can see in, in, from your left side, you can see it, but when you're in the shotgun and the RPOs, he sees things develop a little bit quicker. Now, I'm not opposed to him getting under center, but we, you know, it's clear that you know James Conner or somebody else will be your short yardage guy where he doesn't have to jam his neck in there, and you know. So, but I, I think him not being under center helps those numbers. And we've heard a lot of Ron Wolfley say, hey, I want to see Kyler Murray under center. Rob Fredrickson on Cardinal Talk. I'd like to see Kyler Murray under center. And I think at times we did see him a lot more. I just don't know. And I know the news coming out of the Baltimore Ravens camp is that Lamar Jackson is going to be under center a lot more. That kind of leaked. And I don't know if now the expectation is, well, if Lamar's doing it, why can't Kyler do it? I just don't know if Cliff Kingsbury is that under center type quarterback coach with regard to how he sees this offense going forward well if you go back to uh, Peter Schrager and Sean McVay's podcast they had Kingsbury on there I think Schrager brought it up and he said let me know when Lamar Jackson goes under center now you know over the couple last couple years he's improved in his passing game I thought they had to get him more weapons they've done that Uh, clearly you know their offensive lines made made some adjustments there so um, but Cliff uh, Cliff said uh, Tell me how many times at the end of the year he actually goes under center because, once again, when he's in the gun, RPOs, pistol, zone reads, he's, he has the ability to escape quickly or try to make a decision outside the pocket. And one of the things that I think uh, I've talked about Murray, I want to see him throw on the run better, whether it's to the left side. We know he can throw that ball to hop uh, on the hash mark and get that out pass. But, you know, from a baseball player standpoint, not that you're tipping your hand, but he should be able to throw on the run on the right side and allow those receivers to go get those 50-50 balls. And that could be something we see from A.J. Green. We'll have much more on Kyler Murray and the entire quarterback position once we get to that QB position as we count it down, if you will, to training camp, looking at every position on the Arizona Cardinals offense, defense, and no, we will not forget special teams as well. But let's bring it back to that story on azcardinals.com and the number one offensive line when it comes to limiting pressure. We talked when we discussed the offensive line about three-fifths of that starting lineup being back. DJ Humphreys, Justin Pugh, and Kelvin Beecham. Well, if you want to throw out Justin Murray, who started the last handful of games at right guard, if he is back in at right guard, and all of a sudden the only newcomer, if you will, is Rodney Hudson, and yeah, it's a important position, yet I don't think anyone's worried because Hudson is one, a veteran, he's a pro bowler, an all-pro, that he should just be able to come in and fit right in and all of a sudden elevate everyone 
to heights that I think we expect that this offense to be much improved, especially when it comes to putting points on the scoreboard. And one thing we've pointed out that, you know, Sean Kluger is going to play the best five guys. And, you know, you're not going to say, well, who's my swing tackle? Could that be Josh Jones? Could that be Justin Murray? We know Murray can play four different positions, but, you know, they've maintained it's going to be four different guys. And we look at Brian Winters. Um, he's not an outside guy. I'm sure if he had to, he can snap. Usually guards and centers are kind of interchangeable. So, you know, he's got a ton of starts, and uh, clearly there's a relationship with him and Calvin Beach and playing with the Jets. And so that right side could come together a lot sooner. So I'm just wondering who the swing tackle is. Again, they're going to play the best five guys. Coog's going to play the best five guys. But you also are dressing eight on game day, and injuries do occur. Josh Jones, Max Garcia also in the mix. Again, our deep dive on the offensive line. You can go into the archives on azcardinals.com. In fact, make sure you never miss an episode of Cardinals Cover 2 or any of the Arizona Cardinals podcasts. Subscribe and you get those podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. You've got... Obviously, Cardinals cover two, Cardinals Underground, the Big Red Rage, and the Cardinals Red Sea Report. For more information, go to azcardinals.com slash podcast for more information. Always like to point out and kind of update what we have recently discussed, and it always happens, MJ. That we'll, we'll have this discussion about a position or a particular player, and then all of a sudden we get done with the show, and either later that day or the next day, all of a sudden there's a quote-unquote update, whether it's a roster move or something new that, hey, we, we didn't miss it, we just didn't know about it, and this was one of those instances I don't pay a lot of attention to that analytical numbers but anytime Kyle puts it out there either via his social media accounts you can follow him at Kyle underscore Odegaard or again on azcardinals.com it is an interesting read and I do think we're getting to that stage in the NFL and across all sports even on the college level that these numbers it's not just so much the yardage the touchdowns but how do we measure these players to understand where we can improve as a team and then the flip side of that is the fans understand the game a lot more as well. Yeah, you want to go back to the draft. There was that one, um, I think it came from Pro Football Focus when it came to the Cardinals' athleticism and their, you know, kind of their numbers, and maybe that's the way they're drafting. Now, like any other uh, franchise, the Cardinals do have an analytics department, and you know, Cliff, I, I think he relies on it. Now the question becomes, does he go with the analytics when it's got to go fourth and one, or does he go with the gut? Based on down and distance, what kind of momentum in the game? Do they need to score? Are they falling behind? So it's always interesting when that decision is made. But all those decisions are are thought of going into the game. And so every team has it, including the Cardinals. There could be five or six in there, all working. To, obviously, to, the main thing is to get the win after the game. And But if you execute, you can cover some of that stuff up. But it's always interesting when you have analytics to use as a tool um, what's the gut there? Because that's got to be difficult for any head coach to make that decision. And, you know, I don't know how many analytics the Patriots use. I mean, Belichick obviously is a genius when it comes to, you know, looking at formations and trying to stop people. But there's not a lot of guys that can do that. You can have the numbers presented to you ahead of time. And then once the game kicks off, you have to go, I think, by feel. Now, maybe there are certain situations that those numbers say, hey, look, this team that we're going against just cannot stop second and two from the right hash mark with under two minutes to go. I mean, literally, it is that specific. It's not just one person. It's an analytics department that is coming up with these numbers. But at the same time, I do like having that instinct, that gut feel like, look, maybe it's against the grain. Maybe it's not what the numbers are telling me. But look, 
uh, you know, James Conner, he's he's on a roll, and, and we know what the numbers say, but I'm going to go and feature him on this particular play, and whether it works or not, then, of course, the head coach has got to answer those questions afterwards. But numbers are a part of the story. That I just can't. I just don't want them to be the entire story why something happens. Yeah, it really it comes down to blocking, tackle, and execution, you know, not committing penalties, um, you know, not getting false start stuff, not falling behind, learning how to finish, a lot of, a lot of little things. But – you know, Cliff has been aggressive when it comes to going on fourth down. Now, I know that the average uh, viewer out there or fan is going to go fourth and one. You couldn't pick up a fourth and one. Well, that's something where if you're in field goal range and you got Matt Prater and you have a seven-point lead and it's in the fourth quarter, yes, you want to get to a two-possession game. So, um, But he's been very aggressive going on fourth down. And, you know, it's not going to work every time, but you can't fault him for being aggressive, especially when he's trying to push the envelope to score more points. And I think he's also learned his lesson. Remember his first season, how many times he would go for a field goal inside the red zone as opposed to pushing it a little bit. And then as the season progressed, he became more aggressive. Year three, not that he knows everything, but I do think he's a little bit more comfortable. And then your observation from watching OTAs in minicamp, he's not just focused on the quarterbacks or the offense. He's moving around. He's looking at other positions. He's talking with other players, other assistants out there to where maybe you do see Sean Kugler up front a little bit more. Obviously, Kingsbury, final say, but that, you know, when we saw the offense exit the field, all of a sudden Kingsbury wouldn't be seen front of the line. He would be back on the bench most times, and all of a sudden the defense is playing. And that occasionally yes as a head coach but nine times out of ten you need to be able to see how the entire game is going on in front of you and we know that you know Sean Kugler along with James Saxon and Steve Hyden they kind of put the run game together and then you got the wide receivers coach Sean Jefferson and you know you you take the uh, the input from them but when I look at it for Cliff Kingsbury, though, I mean, I, I think he's he's going to become more of a head coach, and that's going to help this team overall. And I agree with you. You you got to worry about a challenge. You got to worry about, you know, is it, it, you know, uh, I guess clock management. So there's a lot of things, but I, I do think Cliff is trying to be more of a head coach and just an offensive play caller and working the officials. That's part of the game as well. Part of being a head coach, you start that process, and all of a sudden, maybe in the fourth quarter, you do get that official to all of a sudden see something that was in embedded in their mind earlier in the game, whether that's on the offense or defensive side. Well, and, and I'm not speaking out of turn here, but I don't think they're going to have as many uh, distractions on the sidelines this year. You know, they, they you know moved on from David Rye, who I have a lot of respect for, but he, when they always pan the sidelines, he was always in Cliff's ear, and I'm sure, you know, Cam Turner's got a promotion now, the Coogler's down there, they got a guy in the booth, so I don't think you're going to have the distractions you had a year ago. Jerry Sullivan is kind of more of a technician. He'll when the guys come to the sidelines, he'll talk to them. Sean Jefferson's more of a um, hands-on coach. So, quite frankly, I don't think they're going to have the distractions down there as they had a year ago. Well, let's hope that's the case. Knock on wood, and this Cardinals team is focused from week one all the way to week 18. As we continue here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, our Let's Focus MJ on the outside linebacker position group. As we continue here on our position-by-position position breakdown, looking at what the Cardinals did in the offseason, whether that's in free agency, via trade, or obviously in the draft. Now, when we talk about outside linebacker, you got to start at the top, and that is Chandler Jones. And there's there's a question mark, and I think I don't I haven't 
talk with a lot of fans out there, but I do believe there's a segment of the Bird Gang that might be a little concerned, a little worried. I'm here to say, and whether you agree or disagree with me, MJ, we can discuss that here as well. I don't believe Chandler Jones is going anywhere. He will be at training camp. I'm not reporting anything. This is just my belief. He will be at training camp. He will play this season. Now the question remains, does he get that new contract? He was not at OTAs or minicamp. He did show up for media day, and we've seen the pictures. We've seen the videos, and he has been a part of Zoom calls. How do we know this? Well, Outside linebacker, the rookie, Victor Dimukeji, was on the Big Red Rage recently and said not only has he met Chandler Jones, but he has interacted with Jones via Zoom calls. So it's not like Chandler Jones is Aaron Rodgers, where he is out of touch with the team. He just was not present on the football field, whether watching or showing what he could do in practice. I think that was a mistake, but that's in the past. I do not believe that he is unhappy. I do believe he would like a new contract, but I don't think this is anything that is going to be a quote-unquote distraction, if you will, and his teammates backed him up. Uh, We heard from uh, Buda Baker. We heard from DJ Humphreys. This was not going to be anything, look, as they say, it's a business, and Chandler Jones will take care of his own business, but I do believe that when this team reports at the end of July, He'll be there front and center. Well, two things. First of all, if you want to go back to media day, he did meet with uh, general manager Steve Kime, and there could be an agreement. And according to Kingsbury, they knew this was going to happen. Now, last year, I thought Chandler came in a little heavy, um, and he obviously you know, didn't play up to par uh, for different reasons in the first five games of the season. He ended up missing 11. Um, he's going to be 32 in February, so he'll go in this year at 31. You know, The Cardinals do have the franchise tag. They can use it in back-to-back years. I'm sure that's not something he doesn't want. And, and, and from a team standpoint, you'd like to lower that cap number, which is $20 million right now. But I think at this point, you know, it's not he's not coming off an, a, uh, an ACL or an Achilles, uh, but he is a pass rusher, and you got to make sure you take care of your triceps and biceps. So um, I understand he wants a contract, but I don't know if that's going to be the focus going into the season. He's entering the final year of a five-year, $82.5 million contract that he signed in 2017. He has earned every bit of that $82.5 million. In fact, he has improved since signing that contract, which you cannot say about a lot of players in the NFL or other professional leagues across the country or even across the world. So to that, I'll give him credit. But to your point, when you look at, okay, if you are looking to extend on the team side, what are we looking at? 31 years old, you're coming off an injury. Now it's the first injury he's suffered since joining the Cardinals. And then those five games, really four plus, because he got hurt in week five, he was really a little bit slow to get out of the gates. He had just the one sack, seven quarterback hits, and fun, one fumble recovery. So it was slow for him to really get off last season, whether that was to what you said as far as him coming in, maybe a little overweight in training camp. But I do understand the hesitation from the team side if it hasn't happened yet. Now it's not to say it won't happen. Buda Baker got extended during training camp. DeAndre Hopkins got extended during training camp. Maybe that's what happens this come training camp, whether that's late July or in August. And I, I, I still feel, and, and maybe they want to wait and see, even though James Conner's on a one-year contract, I do think they, they think highly of a guy like Chase Edmonds. And we, we've seen this team give out extensions in training camp. Tyron Matthew, Patrick Peterson, 
uh, Hopkins was announced before the season, I want to say? Yes, it was. Yeah. Now, you look back, go back to 2016 when the Cardinals traded for Chandler Jones. Uh, they gave up Jonathan Cooper, who basically was on his last leg here. They're going to move in the center that offseason and a second-round pick. So he's appeared in 69 games, 61 sacks, 175 solo tackles. Um, he has 68 tackle for losses, 107 quarterback hits, forced fumbles, 17, uh, fumble recovers, 7, and passes defense. So he definitely has filled up the stat sheet, and really you can put his numbers close to Aaron Donald. Well, and many people put him in that category, and I've watched NFL Network enough over the last several weeks. Cliff Averill, the former Seattle Seahawks defensive player, he's joined the NFL Network and recently had Chandler Jones amongst his top three edge rushers. He had him at number three behind Cameron Jordan and then Aaron Donald. And Willie McGinnis has been very vocal in his supports of Chandler Jones, calling him underappreciated. We don't hear a lot nationally about Chandler Jones, but you look at the number of sacks, the number of strip sacks, he has made the strip sack really an art form to the point where all of a sudden that is his focus. It's not so much getting the quarterback, it's getting that ball out of the quarterback's hands, and that's something that we've seen this team practice a lot since Kingsbury joined the team, and I think that is something that, yeah, you want the sack, but you get that ball out, you get credit for the sack, plus now all of a sudden that ball is loose and it's free for anyone to kind of dive for. Well, between Charlie Bolin, who's the outside linebacker's coach, and then you throw in Billy Davis, who's the inside linebacker's coach, they teach you to stab the ball. Stab the ball. You know how I feel about hurries, pressures, and knockdowns. They lead to turnovers. So you look at Aaron Donald. He has 65.5 sacks. Jones, 61. Cameron Jordan, 55.5. Khalil Mack, 51.5. T.J. Watt, 49. I mean... He is in that category of all those great players. And again, Aaron Donald, I just I want to say he just turned 30. Uh, I think Cameron Jordan similar to T.J. Watts a little bit. You know, Khalil Mack's in there. So we're talking about the best of the best when it comes to pass rushers. And he's definitely been in that category uh, since he's been with the Cardinals. Again, 69 games, 61 sacks. Well, he's five and a half sacks shy of Freddie Jones Nunn's mark of 66 and a half. That's the Cardinals franchise mark, and I don't think there's any question about it that Chandler Jones, knock on wood, if healthy, will hit that mark in 2021. So you can't argue whether it's top three or top five. Chandler Jones is in that category as a pass rusher. The question is, what do you do as far as how far out is he looking for a new contract? How far out is the Cardinals potentially looking to extend him? Is that two years? Is that three years? I would like to see his contracts equal or match or coincide with J.J. Watt. I mean, it doesn't make much sense to me if you bring J.J. Watt on for two years and Chandler Jones only signed for one year and then you're left what to do in 2022. I think those contracts need to be matched up. Now, Chandler Jones is like, well, that's just an extra year tacked on. But I do think that needs to be the focal point, if nothing else, to get those two teamed together for more than just one season. Yeah, you know, Von Miller's had some injuries over over last year. And Von Miller, just to give you his number, he's got 54 sacks. And, you know, so and Chandler's going to want to be paid like a pass rusher where Aaron Donald's an interior guy. Um, you know, quite frankly, you know, J.J. Watt's an interior guy. But we know when it comes to these pass rushers, there's a premium at the position. And it's tough to compare Calais Campbell because Calais was 31 at the time. Uh, the Cardinals offered him three years, $31.5 million, guaranteed. And that was the same money of Michael Bennett. Michael Bennett was a force to be reckoned with. 
Calais wanted to be the, fa- uh, the face of the franchise. That wasn't going to happen here. So he goes to Jacksonville. They were looking for a face of the franchise. Gets a four-year deal for 60, which he knew, I knew, and everyone knew he would never see that fourth year, and he ends up getting traded. And now he's contemplating retirement after this season. So you start to get to 31-32. You're not a spring chicken anymore, especially rushing the passer. Now Chandler plays all three downs. Calais, he's in, he's in a rotation. The reason why they went out and got Calais Campbell is because they thought they would play the Chiefs and stop that run and get you know Mahomes off his spot. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for them. But yeah, I mean, you start getting 33, um, you know, 32, 33. All of a sudden, you're not that spring chicken. The one difference, as far as when you look at Chandler Jones and Calais Campbell, is the Cardinals had someone waiting in the wings. They thought Robert Kimdichi who is now with the Seattle Seahawks, and we'll see how that pans out. But there was someone waiting to take that spot. You look at the Cardinals right now, there is no outside linebacker. There is no edge rusher in waiting, if you will. There is no young hotshot. There is no draft pick behind Chandler Jones. He's 31. Marcus Golden is 30. Devon Kennard turns 30 this week. So if you're Chandler Jones and you're his agent and you look at the roster and go, you can't afford to let me go. I have to be back on this team because if I leave, what are you guys going to do? You have no one waiting. And to that point, that would be concerning because we know how devastating it is to have a pass rusher like Chandler Jones. And folks, don't point to last season because I don't think you can repeat that sack by committee that Vance Joseph was able to dial up since week five. I think that was more... Um, that that was a one-season deal. I don't think you can bank on that year in and year out. You need that one guy or that tag team, if you will, to get to the quarterback. Yeah, I, mean, I remember when the Cardinals were really excited with Olsen Pierre. I mean, they basically kept him on the roster the entire year because they had to trade it in, in the preseason with the Falcons, and they thought he was going to be the future. They thought Robert Camdici was going to be the future, and, you know, uh, I like what they've done over the last, um, you know, last two drafts. You know, obviously addressing the defensive line with Lucky Fotu and Richard Lawrence, and then bringing in JJ Watt. But yeah, again, it, it's he's not going to be the highest paid pass rusher just age wise. But you look at his production, what he's done since he's been here, it's hard to argue. I don't know what his value. I mean, I, right now he's making fifteen five, and then the signing bonus is four or five, so his cap number is twenty million. In the perfect world, you'd like to get that down a little bit and allow him to get his signing bonus. Yeah, get that money up front because that's what players like. What What are you going to give me now when I put pen to paper, not what I can earn in the future because there's no guarantee that that future is going to come for any player when they sign that contract, especially if it's a three- or four-year contract. So, look, it's an interesting cat-and-mouse game here. Again, I'll reiterate, Chandler Jones is not going anywhere. That's just me saying it, MJ. I do think that it would be wise for the Cardinals to get him under contract beyond 2021. Don't play this season on a one-year deal and then go into free agency. And then, yeah, you've got the franchise tag, but no player likes that. Although Chandler Jones, you mentioned it, he was franchise tagged. And I think, what, a couple of days or a week later, he signed that five-year contract. So it wouldn't be the first time that it happens, but no player likes to get that tap on the shoulder and said, you've been tagged. I'll say this. I mean, he, he he's been working out the facility ever since. You know, he's rehabbing. Um, he does yoga. He does Pilates. I'm sure he spent some time with John Jones and his brother Arthur um, in the octagon, just 
you know, just it's, to me, that's wrestling skills and, and being able to get out of uh, traffic. So I, I do I do anticipate he's going to come back in better shape. Um, you know, again, no off season. You didn't have to show up. It was all Zoom meetings, and you go to training camp. No excuses. He's a professional. Um, but I watched him in camp a little heavy, and he was, you could see he was the conditioning. And he, he actually told us that he could have used a preseason game just to kind of knock the rust off. I don't know if that affected the injury, but I do think if he looks at himself on film last year, he knows he needs to be in better shape, and he's going to have more talent around him. He's not going to be just a one-guy wrecking crew. You've got other players where he can draw double teams and let J.J. Watt or Marcus Golden get after the quarterback. Well, if you follow Chandler on Instagram, you can see what he is doing this offseason, the shape that he is in. Most recently, I think he was dunking a basketball, so it doesn't appear that that bicep injury is – you know, going to factor in. I mean, I think he is about as 100% as you can be at this point of your career. Now he's just got to make sure that he knows what he's walking into. And I do think he understands it. The Cardinals understand it. You just don't want this to be hanging over the team come training camp. And I don't believe it will. No, I mean, he's a professional. He's coming off that five-year, $82.5 million contract. I mean, uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I, he's, you know, basically this could be his last big contract, you know, if, you know whether he signs a two-year deal or he plays on a franchise tag. I mean, he's not going to get any younger, and we all know it's a young man's game. I still think he could be effective as a situational pass rusher, maybe a little bit older like to Wade Freeney, maybe John Abraham. Um, who knows what he wants to do after that, but, you know, he's really betting on himself if he doesn't get a, a – you know, a contract extension or to get the franchise tag. Well, the first time we will see Chandler Jones in action week one at Tennessee. First time we will see Chandler Jones in action at State Farm Stadium week two when the Minnesota Vikings come to town. And that game specifically, the home opener, parts of the white plan as there are a couple of different protect the nest plans that are available right now either through azcardinals.com slash tickets or by calling the cardinals ticket office at 602-379-0102 there is the white plan there is the red plan each plan features four games including a prominent primetime matchup at state farm stadium again the information on azcardinals.com slash tickets or calling the Cardinals ticket office at 602-379-0102. All right, the red plan. 49ers, Packers on Thursday night football, Panthers, and then the Indianapolis Colts Sunday night in primetime, and that's on Christmas. I like the white plan. Now, again, the opener, Minnesota Vikings, there's a lot of um, transplants here. Obviously, the revenge game from a media standpoint, the Texans, the Rams on Monday night. But Sunday, January 9th, the regular season finale, the Seahawks. And so if you want to, you're a Seahawks fan, you want to purchase tickets, you're going to have to purchase tickets for four games. So give me the white plan. I like both plans, but I understand what you're saying, especially that final game, week 18, perhaps maybe playoff seeding perhaps maybe the division is up for line and you got the Seahawks at home and we know that history the road team has such success in that rivalry but uh, hopefully things will be different because January 9th 2022 the season extends a little bit longer into the month of January with regards to the regular season which is going to be a little odd because by that time we're already into the postseason 
Yeah, the Red Planet, it's just, you know, let's say hypothetically Aaron Rodgers, we know that there's a lot of transients out here, and unless you get back to Green Bay, which they're going to have full capacity this year, and I haven't looked at their schedule, how many West Coast games they have. Clearly, we're playing that division this year, so it's a good opportunity. But again, if you want to, you know, purchase the Packers tickets, you're going to have to purchase the 49ers, Panthers, and Colts. So um, I like both pans, but I just like the fact that that, that last game, is going to be at home, and if you know if the Seahawks want to purchase those tickets, they're going to have to buy four games. So you're welcome. Again, protect the nest, azcardinals.com slash tickets, or call the Cardinals ticket office at 602-379-0102. We continue here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, behind Chandler Jones, or I guess it's say alongside Chandler Jones, as we get back to our outside linebacker conversation here, who is also back at that position. Marcus Golden, Devon Kennard, Dennis Gardeck, Kylie Fitz, Terrence Smith, and Reggie Walker. Fitz started one game, played in 13, ended the season on injured reserve. Smith played in three games. Walker played in one game. Now, those three more special teams players, but in a pinch, yeah, you'd be able to send them out there and rush the quarterback and see what happens. Maybe you get lucky. Maybe you find something like the Cardinals did a year ago with Dennis Gardak. More on Gardak in a moment, but let's talk about Marcus Golden. Resigned in the offseason to a two-year contract, made it very, very clear when he left this facility at the end of the regular season that he wanted to be back, and he was brought back. And this might have been one of those deals to where Steve Kime just calls up and says, this is what we're going to offer you. And on the other end of the lines, Marcus Golden says, I'll take whatever you got. He is so invested not only in the franchise, but this state, this community, that he wanted to be back no matter what. And I do think that that plays a factor in how he performs or how he plays because he's going to bring it every single week. Yeah, I, I thought it was a great trade, and you know the fact is that you know, uh, you know, we don't know his asking price prior to when the Giants sign him. They bring in a new head coach, and all of a sudden his role changes. And he actually said that you know, um, possibly he was going to be done with football. And then I want to say that they signed him before the uh, the opening of free agency because you can resign your own free Correct. agents. Correct. So that that tells me he was a prior. They made a decision to move on from Reddick. The goal with Golden. Now we'll see how that plays out. Obviously, Hassan's in Carolina. Um, we'll see how he does. He doesn't have, you know, um, he's got players around him. Don't get me wrong, but I'm, I'm curious to see what the numbers he puts up. But to me, can't say enough about Marcus Golden. It's, it's the energy, the passion. Uh, he wants to be here. He loves the Cardinals. His family's here. Um, he's raising his family here. So I think it's a win-win situation. But they did make a decision uh, to move on from Reddick to to re-up uh, Marcus Golden. I'm sure there was input from the coaching staff and including the front office. Well, and then there's also the history and once upon a time, Chandler Jones on one side, Marcus Golden on the other side, and that one magical season, they each had double-digit sacks. Now, can you get a return like that in 2021? I think that's also a part of this as well. We know the passion that Marcus Golden has for the game and also wearing that Cardinals uniform. Last season, he started eight games, played in nine, but again, that was a midseason addition and needed because there were guys getting hurt Chandler Jones and then Devon Kennard let's talk about him 30 years old this week in fact on 30 depending on when you happen to listen to this show Cardinals covered two presented by Hyundai proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals so an early happy birthday to the local product out of Desert Vista High School Devon Kennard 30 
on January, or I should say June 24th. But it was a big deal when he signed a year ago, three years, $20 million, that homecoming, and I think people were excited considering what he had done in the previous two seasons with the Detroit Lions, seven sacks each of those two seasons. He had 14 and 15 quarterback hits in those seasons as well. But it was a disappointment. And those numbers didn't carry over into 2020. In fact, he was almost missing for a lot of the second half of the season. And whether that was because of COVID-19 or something that the coaching staff saw that there were other players better and outperforming Devon Kennard. But how would you kind of describe what happened with Kennard last season when all of a sudden he just, I mean, he played in 13 games, but he only started four of them. I thought he did a good job maybe the first month of the season when Chandler was out there setting the edge. That's what he's going to do. I mean, he's never really going to fill up the stat sheet. You look at his sacks, they come in bunches, including against the Cardinals uh, when Kyler Murray was a rookie against uh, the Lions. Um, the thing is, I do think COVID affected him. Um, he only missed one game there, but I think when they started to look at that jet package, they wanted to get some of their playmakers, and sometimes there were DBs and linebackers, and then I think Dennis Gardick, until he got hurt, kind of put him on the shelf a little bit, and then the addition of Marcus Golden. So, you know, I want to say this, um, because he's been here every single day in the offseason. I think a lot of people looked at that cap number, but you have to have depth in this league, and whether he's a starter, um, he can play on special teams, but he's worked really hard. I'm sure he knows that, you know, he signed a three-year deal. He's going into year number two. He wants to be here, again, raising his family here and everything else. We know his father played for the Cardinals. So I'm looking for a bounce-back year from from Kennard with given the opportunity. He may be a guy that's going to be a rotation guy. So, But um, to me, in training camp, I think we're going to see a different guy. Um, you know, normally when you go home, everything's set in place. Now, you know, it's, you know, he can fo- focus just on football. He, he obviously has a family life. He's a well-educated uh, guy. He's, he's got a real estate business. So it's not just football, football. But I think knowing, you know, um, as you pointed out, you know, Chandler's getting 31. You got Golden's 30. He's going to be 30 this week. So um, I'm hoping maybe it's more wishful thinking that he has a bounce back here because I think they can use him as a depth guy. And if somebody goes down, he could start. Well, there's no question that Kennard is putting in the work. You see it, whether it's out here, OTA's minicamp, or you follow him on his various social media platforms. So, And I do think that he is honest with himself that when you look back at last season, I didn't perform up to my own standards, let alone what the Cardinals expected of me when they signed me to that three-year contract. So I'm in agreement with you. I, I'm, I'm going in open-minded and optimistic that Devon Kennard in year two yeah, you play for your hometown team and things get a little crazy. Last year, obviously, no fans in the stands for many of those games at State Farm Stadium. But year two, something to prove. And every time we say that phrase, it's not just us saying it, but in the back uh, players' minds, I'm sure they understand that they have something to prove as well. And I think Kennard certainly does, based off his numbers a year ago. Two and a half sacks, nine quarterback hits. And again, it's not so much the sacks or the numbers, but was he affecting the game? And I don't think he had that much of an impact week in and week out. Yeah, like I said, I thought he started off well, and then you, we got a chance to see Kylie Fitz before he went down. And Kylie Fitz is another guy that just sets the edge. They're hoping everything can kind of you know, get in the middle and don't let, let guys get around you. So, uh, And Kylie Fitz is under contract, so there's going to be a little competition there. Um, but he, you um, you have on our, our show sheet here that he was on the Jim Rome show, and 
you know, I'm sure when he looks back at the season, but, you know, the fact is he's not dealing with any injuries, no rehab. Um, he's been cleared of COVID. So I think he realizes that, you know, he's got a clean slate, and hopefully this is the year where he can really, you know, if he comes in as a situational pass rusher, I mean, great. I mean, it's fresh legs. Um, they have to have a rotation there. We know who the starters are going in. This is what Kennard had to say on the Jim Rome show, and this was earlier in June. Quote, Honestly, I'm excited to give this year a clean slate and a fresh start because last year with how weird it was with COVID, it didn't hit all the way. End quotes. He said that he felt fine, that the effects of COVID-19 didn't really weigh on him. But the numbers or how much we saw him on the field told a different story to where it certainly appeared to impact him because you look at those final eight games, he was not on the field for a lot of defensive snaps. And whether that was someone had beaten him out or the coaching staff didn't believe that he could handle a number of snaps because of the effects of COVID-19. I, you know, I, only Devon Kennard can answer that. But to your point about being a bounce-back year, I think everyone is anticipating that in 2021. And, again, they, they, need, they, they need some depth there. I mean, you know, got Chandler coming off an injury, and I think he'll be, you know, cleared to go. Uh, he has been rehabbing, but also, as Craig's pointed out, he looks a little bit thinner on some of his social media platforms. So, yeah, like I said, he's a great guy, a great community guy, but they're judging what they do on the field. It is an easy player to root for when you talk about Devon Kennard, not just because of the hometown kid coming to play for the hometown team, but he is he is a very good guy. He is certainly excellent in the community. That never changed throughout last season, even in the midst of COVID-19, and guys not able to make many appearances, public appearances, but via Zoom, via picking up the phone, uh, Kennard certainly, he is, certainly made this his home, regardless of what happens with the Arizona Cardinals. When you hear somebody in the media say, he's a pro's pro that's all you need to know absolutely now as far as bounce back seasons maybe not a bounce back season but looking to see Dennis Gardeck bounce back he is the other guy that or the other outside linebacker that is returning but the last time we saw him he was being carted back into the locker room after suffering a torn ACL against the Eagles on December 20th now we've been told head coach Cliff Kingsbury that Gardeck is quote ahead of schedule and when asked specifically about being ready by the start of the season Kingsbury added, quote, I wouldn't put anything past Dennis, end quote. I wouldn't either, MJ. And there's a story up on azcardinals.com. Darren Urban had a chance to speak with Dennis Gardeck, who didn't want to put a timetable or a date out there, but did sound optimistic about being available this season. He is doing some light sprints, which is good to see, and we did notice out on the practice field during OTAs and minicamp Dennis Gardeck running on the sideline away from all of the action. This is something to keep an eye on because, as Gardeck pointed out in that story, it is the same right ACL that Gardeck tore his senior year in high school. Now, that was a few years back, but it is an injury that certainly, if it's the same knee, a little concerning, but we know Dennis Gardeck is going to go at this 100 miles an hour. You kind of have to slow him down a little bit, and that was kind of the gist of the article that Taryn wrote that, hey, we don't need you right now. How about we shoot for being healthy at some point September or October because we need you ready for a full season or as many games as possible. And the Cardinals, you know, obviously they have more information than we do. He was a restricted free agent, and he received a second-round tender. And according to Steve Kime, 
that was an easy decision. Now, you look at his numbers. I, mean, I don't know if another guy in the NFL had the kind of production he had in 93 defensive snaps. So the way I look at this is, okay, so if he starts training camp on PUP, you can remove him before the season. If he starts the season on PUP, then he's out for six weeks, and it's almost like making a trade. So they must feel comfortable, and the fact that, it, let's say hypothetically, he misses four weeks, um, that's like making a trade at the deadline. The deadline's usually week eight or nine. So to add another pass, we know he's a uh, special teams, uh, you know, one of the better special teams players, not only on, on the team, but in the league. So um, sometimes uh, he's been working out here every single day. Every single day you see Dennis Gardick here. So it's not, a, and again, I would never root against him. Um, especially a guy that's been an underdog and he got an opportunity as an undrafted free agent and now he's making you know a couple million dollars. The, the organization feels that he's going to be able to contribute this year, whether it's 13 games, 10 games, that remains to be seen. But barring any setbacks, it's going to be interesting to watch him in training camp if he's on the side or he's going to get a chance to do a little bit more. Again, the medical staff will clear him when he's cleared. What you said about Gardek receiving that second-round tender, I don't think enough has been made about that because indirectly you can read into that because if this was a major knee injury, then all of a sudden maybe you don't expect the player to return early in the season and it's more of a late-season addition. Then all of a sudden it's like, well, do you want to invest that much money in a player you're only going to have for a handful of games? A second-round tender on an undrafted rookie free agent speaks volumes to where the organization believes Dennis Gardeck is in his rehab. No one's going to come out and say, yeah, we expect him week one. I think that's unfair to the player, but I do think that that might be a goal. Now, how many snaps are you going to get if Gardeck is active and available on week one? He is a special teams phenom. He only played a handful of defensive snaps per week. He played 93 total. Now, he did a lot with those 93 sacks or 93 snaps, seven sacks, seven tackles for loss, 10 quarterback hits. I mean, every time he was on the field, he was being an impact player. But I do think that even in a limited role, especially on special teams, that you might see Gardeck earlier in the season. I don't want to put a date out there, but perhaps earlier than I would say later in the season. And the fact is that, you know, they're going to need some depth there. He came in and gave him a huge lift last year. Now he's undersized, so he's not going to be a starter unless injuries occur. Like he got a chance last year. We know he plays on teams, but the thing is he plays, you know, uh, with a lot of heart and a lot of passion and energy. And to me, I don't think he's going to lose any of that coming off the ACL. Now I'm not a doctor, but if, if it sounds like if it was a clean tear where you didn't have to worry about your meniscus or your MCL, that's huge. Now, normally that injury takes six to nine months. I mean, Adrian Peterson's a freak. He came back in six months. Some guys come back in eight or nine. But if you're the Cardinals and, and you got your starting lineup and no injuries occur in training camp, you could be patient with him. You know, yeah, you'd love to see him in the month of September, but maybe it's week five, you know. So um, I don't think it's going to affect his ability to get to the pass rusher or, or get to the quarterback uh, because I think he, you know, he's 
he doesn't get the credit how strong he is in his lower body, and I think that showed a couple times in that Giants game. And Gardeck was very aware of what he did last season in that article that Darren Urban wrote up on azcardinals.com. He understood that he was on the field for certain situations, rushing the quarterback. That's your one and only job, and it was a limited role. He was very effective at it, but now all of a sudden people say, well, play him more. You extend that out, and all of a sudden maybe he's a double-digit sack guy. I don't believe that to be the case, and I don't know if Dennis, Dennis Gardak believes that as well. I think he understands his limitations, his role within this defense and with the Arizona Cardinals. He has made certainly an impact on special teams, and that is never going to change because I don't think Jeff Rogers would ever allow that to happen to lose a guy like a Dennis Gardak. But to see Gardak play you know, 70, 75% of the defensive snaps, I just, I don't know. And it might be the same question that I and a lot of people have when we talk about Chase Edmonds. Can you be that guy all the time at the running back, or in this case as an outside linebacker, going up against much bigger offensive linemen? Well, I got to think, you know, when the Giants are watching film, I don't know if they didn't recognize him because I, the first play he got pancaked and the next thing you know he's in the backfield and, you know, obviously a young quarterback and he really had his day with Andrew Thomas who I thought was one of the better linemen coming out. He He's better off playing 34, 35% of the snaps. When you, when you have Because now all of a sudden he's on film and he's undersized. And, I mean, basically if he gets inside on you, which is going to be difficult with his short arms – those left tackles and those linemen, they can just push him out of the way. So I think he's more effective not playing a, a full-time role because he also plays 21 to 22 snaps on special teams, and he runs down there like he's a Tasmanian devil. So he, he'll he get you 50 snaps a game, but it's not going to all be on defense. Yeah, you hope to see Dennis Gardeck sooner rather than later, but it is a storyline to pay attention to, especially as we get closer to training camp and then once training camp opens. All right, the last on this outside linebacker discussion, the newcomers, Victor DiMukeji, the sixth-round draft pick out of Duke, and then Jamel Garcia-Williams, which we've talked about a couple of times just because he's six foot seven and he's very hard to miss out on that football field, but someone that entered the league as an undrafted rookie free agent of the 49ers in 2019, probably more of a project than anything else. And Demukeji as well. We talked about when we're, you know, Chandler Jones not having that heir apparent. There's no young player behind him. I, I'm not putting Demukeji in that category. You, you can't as a six-round draft pick. Now, maybe he surprises, and because of the experience he had at Duke, four-year starter, 49 games, and being an all-conference selection the last two years at Duke, maybe he could be that guy. But when you're a day-three pick and a six-round draft pick, I think it's hoping that you found something. But I don't know if Demukeji, as well as he speaks, as we heard him recently on the Big Red Rage, as smart as he is, I just don't know if a lot can be expected, especially this season. I tell you what, he looks the part. I mean, he, he wears number 92, you know, kind of reminds me of B-Train and some other guys that wore that number. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, Craig, when they were, he was drafted, they kind of used a little bit of comp with Marcus Golden. I mean, so that's energy. And, uh, again, I, I see the guy. I, I actually was getting a COVID test, and I ran into him in the parking lot, and he wasn't in uniform. And I was like, wow, he's, he's got good size. And, and, of course, they're only in, sh- in shorts and uh, helmets right now, but I can't wait for him to put the pads on because he looks the part. Um, you know, smart guy, obviously a four-year starter, as you pointed out, at Duke, um, you know, 49 games. Um, I think he's going to get a chance to make the roster. And, you know, when you start looking at – 
that outside linebacker spot, if you don't have, you know, uh, Gardick coming back, I think he can also put his hand in the dirt. You're talking about Dima Cagey? Yeah. Well, he he has that experience. Yes, on but the I think level, here yeah. in a three four, they want him to come off the edge. But I do think he's a guy that you could put in his hand in the dirt and allow some of your other guys to come in and scoop up on the outside. Number ninety two again. Uh, a tip of the cap to Bertram Barry, who made that number very very famous during his time with the Arizona Cardinals. But that comp of Marcus Golden, Demukeji, felt it was a good comparison, and already that connection has been made during the offseason as far as Marcus Golden taking this young player under his wing and teaching him the ropes. So, again, you root for these day three picks to be successful. We know not everyone is able to maintain a career at the NFL level when you get your name called on day three. But, uh, you know, as you said, he is that young piece to perhaps maybe – Get a role on special teams, and if needed, now all of a sudden you're active on Sundays. You might find yourself playing some defense. And I, you know, I know he's in the sixth round. The Cardinals had, didn't have a ton of picks. They were obviously needed a corner, and they drafted a couple corners and uh, Marcus Wilson and Tay Gowan. They got a safety in there, so you, you can't fill every role. But um, the the fact is, yes, he dropped to the sixth round, and um, you know he's going to get a chance to make the roster. I really, you know. If he plays well in the preseason, it can be hard to slide him to the practice squad just based on his measurables. He is someone certainly to watch, talking about Victor DiMuccheji. The entire outside linebacker position, I think, he is going to offer some intriguing storylines throughout training camp where we started with Chandler Jones and then the bounce back for uh, Devon Kennard, the return perhaps of uh, Dennis Gardeck, and then obviously we know we're going to be able to hear and see Marcus Golden because you always hear and see Marcus <laughs> Golden. He is that guy that it's always contagious. brings the energy. Yes, it is, it is very fun. You get off a, a Zoom interview with him or just when we once upon a time in our profession we were able to do in-person interviews Marcus Golden is one of those guys that you always enjoy talking to and come away feeling much better about not only yourself but about everything after a conversation with Marcus yeah and we could tell you a story when the Cardinals were uh, scouting Shane Ray who went to the he went to the Broncos in the first round he had uh, tested positive for marijuana at the time and you know there was some character issues but when they're watching Missouri, a Missouri film, that's what Vince told me, told me it's Missouri. He, um, they noticed Marcus Golden sticking out, and here the Cardinals, you know, I don't know if they would have drafted Shane Ray. Obviously, they didn't in that first round, but they ended up getting him. So that that was it's that, that's what happens a lot of times. You're watching a certain player who's got a first round grade or maybe an early second, and all of a sudden Marcus Golden sticks out, and so that's uh, that's how they acquired him and they drafted him. Yeah, you never know how or when you might find that next player, and sometimes it just falls into your lap, and maybe that's exactly what happened with the Arizona Cardinals and Marcus Golden. And on that note, let's put a lid on this discussion of the outside linebacker position and this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. We'll continue to do these throughout the coming weeks as we get closer and closer to training camp. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Amahundro. For Mike Jarecki, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.